The Invictus Mind, Episode 2. Hello, this is Mike Corbell. Each and every person is a sovereign individual, born with a spark of divinity, with unique and unlimited potential. But every one of us will face unique challenges, obstacles, or roadblocks. There are systems in this world that may be built against our own best interests. Governments use force to coerce and compel us. Sometimes we build systems in our very own head. In each episode, we will look at these systems, these roadblocks, the things that prevent us from reaching our true potential. We will discuss how to break free and regain our sovereignty, how we can become the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. Hi, Mike Corbell here. In this episode, I'm talking with my friend, Gary Knauer. He's a good guy to talk to because he has such a diverse background. Gary is a business coach with experience in the mortgage industry, as well as a former host of Intentional Living Radio. For several years, he has dedicated his life to becoming a voracious reader. Here we will talk about what he calls a financial matrix and other various systems. The books we discuss will be linked to the InvictusMind.com and can be purchased through Amazon or downloaded on Audible. Gary, I'd like to welcome you to the show. How are you doing tonight? Doing great, brother. Blessed and highly favored. Great to hear it. Great to hear it. Gary, I know you and I have known each other for about... Uh, about three years now, correct? Some somewhere in that ballpark, yeah. I think we met on social media some time back. Uh, we had a similar interest in just uh, trying to teach the world about liberty and and uh, the forces that are opposing us. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think we had an instant connection when we kind of realized we were both. That was part of our mission. I know it, it's at least part of my mission. I know it's at least part of your mission too. So, absolutely, absolutely. Very cool, very cool. Well, what intrigued me to uh, want to talk to you tonight and uh, invite you on my show, The Invictus Mind, was just your passion for uh, educating people. And uh, you've been one of those people I know who's always fighting the good fights. And uh, you uh, you told me a little bit about a company that you're involved with. And uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit about your story and how you got involved with that. Uh, but Life Leadership uh, Organization, I believe it's called, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, it's thin threads actually. So, uh, um, I guess I, <clears throat> I had, um, just if I could back up a little bit, I had been in kind of a circus tour of careers in life. I had originally was in the, the, the fitness industry and did some, was competing and, and, uh, did a lot of personal training and was doing different things, some small time modeling and stuff. And I had a serious energy, energy injury that knocked me out of there. And then I uh, ended up landing in the mortgage industry where I knew nothing. <laughs> um, but you to quickly learn that most of life is, you know, it's 80% people and the rest is you learn, you learn a few things. And if you can work with people and you've got some ambition, you can rise anywhere. So I uh, did really well there. Um, and then 2008 came, you know, <laughs> I don't know how many people remember 2008. I'm still trying to forget it, but, um, um, definitely lived in a world of, uh, 
that, that, that fed me one kind of thinking, I guess I'm, if I could go back knowing what I know now, I probably would have never gone down that career path. And then from there, I kind of reeled and went out West and worked for a while. I had my own security company for a while, did work for a, a retired investment banker for a while, managing his portfolio, just kind of as an assistant, his, his um, portfolio of, of properties. He had put everything in real estate and found out that wasn't such a good idea so on and so forth. But then I, um, my experience in the West coast, I guess I, I value all my experiences, but I quickly realized I'm not, I'm more of a Midwest boy, I guess. And, um, missed, missed things that were going back here, moved back to the Midwest and was trying to figure out what the next step in life was. And then, uh, a high school buddy came to me and, and presented me with kind of a forerunner of what the company looks like now. Um, but connected me some folks that got me new information and, and, um, it was interesting. I, I was really attracted to the learning side. I know you're a, you're a voracious learner. I would say, Mike, you know, you're a reader, you're a learner. And I just got exposed to new information, different, different ways of thinking that, uh, you know, I had never been exposed to, you know, I had been to college. I had been to a lot of different, I have some professional credentials and other things and, and, um, got pretty passionate about leading people to truth. So, <clears throat> so on and so forth. And, uh, really redirected my life and, and, uh, the character of who I want to be and how I want to serve and what I want to give and so on and so forth. It's that path has blessed me with, with now having an amazing wife, um, and amazing marriage and just, uh, a lot of wonderful friendships. And I guess I've, I'm a work in progress always, but I hope, I hope that I've grown as a person quite a bit. Um, I was corporate America. I was kind of, um, I don't want to say I was angry, but, uh, I was a pretty task oriented guy, you know, corporate America demands numbers and things now. And, uh, I, I don't think the person, I don't like the person that I was in that atmosphere. Corporate America liked me because if you want, um, if you want it done on time and under budget, call me, but I would probably leave a trail of dead bodies and that's not really the guy that I want to be. So I, I feel blessed to be in the situation I am now. More so to just, again, be exposed to new information and mentors. Um, I don't come from big thinking. I don't come from outside of the box thinking. I don't come from success thinking. I don't come from, I come from um, down home, middle class America, give you the shirt off their back, just work, work, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, and hope everything will work out. And that was probably okay two or three generations ago. That doesn't work anymore. So I'm thankful for my upbringing, but I'm thankful now to be exposed to, to bigger thinking and possibility thinking and um, being somewhat unplugged from um, mainstream thinking in terms of, you know, public education and the mainstream media and just uh, kind of what a lot of us were fed just uh, have been exposed to um, a different way of thinking, I guess. So I'll kind of leave her there. Sure, sure. Well, thank you. So, uh, yes, not uh, not unlike me, I definitely have an open mind when it comes to learning new information. I think that's an important quality that uh, successful people have. Uh, however, I didn't come from a corporate background like yourself, although I, I tried that a little bit. I, I come from more a blue-collar background. Uh, my background, I think you know, is in heating and air conditioning. Yeah. But uh, I was also in, I was also introduced to uh, 
uh, something that uh, opened my eyes. I guess they call it the red pill, uh, like if you want to relate to the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was red pilled quite some time ago, and my life has never been the same. Yeah, it's funny. I remember I remember seeing that I was in college, and I had a roommate that would never pay his bills, so I ended up turning off the cable, turning off everything, just because I didn't want to pay for everything. And we were stuck with a couple of movies. Uh, me, myself, and Irene was one of them, but one of them was The Matrix. And I remember watching that movie and think it was some kind of cool sci-fi thing. And then all these years later, um, I've gone back and watched that, learning and knowing what I know now and realizing that it was, it was very much foreshadowing a lot of reality. Um, it was kind of, kind of eye-opening, the movie The Matrix. Yeah, I like to call it a, I like to call it a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so going from a, a competitive bodybuilding mm-hmm. industry to the mortgage industry <laughs> to doing other things and brought you from Wisconsin, I think you started it, and you went out to California, you said? Well, I'm from Wisconsin. I spent quite a bit of time in Chicagoland. I have a heart for Chicago, though. I got, I'm not going to lie. Illinois is getting to be a hard state to want to live in. Um, and I did spend some time on the West Coast, so on and so forth. And um, my wife's from Texas, which uh, uh, I got some family obligations and stuff now. But before too long, that's where we're headed. So it's to Texas. Well, the weather's nicer in yeah. Texas. That's for yeah. sure. Okay. Well, Gary, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, life leadership. I, I know that when, when we first met, uh, you handed me a couple of CDs, and I know no one listens to CDs anymore. Yeah. And I still have in my collection because uh, it's got some mm-hmm. great authors and some great insights uh, regarding liberty. But uh, when I first was when I first heard of Life Liberty, it had uh, a bunch of I guess they call it the AFs of the company. Yeah. I don't know if they still stand by those AFs or not, but I, I like the I like that vision. Can you describe? Yeah, what that was yeah, a yeah. Bit? So the idea was actually, and they had a symbol. It was like a life wheel, and the the, the concept was that you want to you want to grow in all areas of life to have a well a well rounded life. Now, let me preface that. I hear a lot of people talk about how. They want to have balance in their life. They want to have work-life balance. I don't believe in that philosophy. I don't believe in con- that concept at all. I think that's kind of a bunch of baloney, actually. Um, I know for me personally, I want to li- live a life where I give a bunch of time and thought and dedication to the things that matter to me. I'm not trying to run around in my life and, and be mediocre in things. I'm not trying to do just enough in my, you know, professionally, just enough spiritually, just enough with family that it doesn't fall apart. And I see so many people that are there struggling. But um, life is actually an acronym for living intentionally for excellence, intentionally, you know, and uh, I got to tell you, it's funny. We referenced the Matrix and I was that guy kind of living in the Matrix. I was that guy watching. I don't know. They say the average person watches four to six hours of TV a day. And now young people consume a lot of social media. You know, Um, I did a lot of that stuff. I wasn't. um, I was kind of meandering in the wind in life, I guess. I'd wake up in the morning, my GPS was set to go nowhere, right? And I just kind of did what people do, just kind of uh, follow the herd, you know? And uh, life is a totally different way of thinking. It, it, <clears throat> they, You know, so many of us, we went to high school, and then I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I know for me, um, I, I was kind of brought up in a, in a public education model that said everybody that can go to college should go to college because that's the path. Right. And I won't bore you with all the data that tells us specifically that's not the path for most people. But that's just kind of like I had this imaginary idea that I was going to go off to college. I'd get a degree. Didn't really matter what it was. And then that sets up your whole life. 
well, that's just not, it doesn't work that way, you know? And really when we sat down with our guidance counselor and they asked us, what do we want to do? That was the wrong question, right? Think about it. Mike, think, think back to your senior in high school, right? And you're getting ready to go to college or, or, you know, I don't know if you did or didn't, but so many people that are, and they're like, you know, you got to pick a degree or pick a major or, you know, we're 17, 18 years old and, and they're asking us to make a decision that's going to define by default the rest of our life. Right. So work with me, go through this thought process. Mm -hmm. If I'm, um, if I'm, um, a doctor, if I, if I go to school to learn what a doctor learns and go and, and does what a doctor does, then I'm going to have the lifestyle of a doctor, which nowadays is a lot of debt actually. <laughs> um, I'm thankful for good doctors, by the way, I've, I've had some serious life things and I'm thankful for good doctors. So, so, but if I'm, uh, if I'm, um, what's another example, if I'm a teacher, if I go off to learn what a teacher learns, it does what a teacher does. I'm going to have a life defined by that. Right. If I'm a ditch digger and I do, you know, and I learn what a ditch digger learns and I do what a ditch digger does, it's going to define my life. The question that we were never asked is what do you want your life to look like? The question, you know, the question is what that should be, what is important to you? How? So we were, we went through this process of picking something we were going to do, hopefully learning a skill set, whatever it is, college, apprenticeship, workforce, family business, whatever. We learned that and it defined our whole life. And life said to me, the life, the organization said to me, flip that around. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead and define what you want your life to look like? Define where you want to go in life, right? Go out and front, learn from somebody who has that and then go out and do what they did. Right. So right now, and, um, you know, I speak around the country, I do workshops and seminars, and, and I, I don't get deep into a bunch of negative information, but I think it's important that we share the truth with people sometimes. I know I'm so thankful that somebody came into my life and set me free because, you know, we have this idea, we live in the wealthiest country in the world, and I could make an argument that we are or we aren't. I'm not really concerned about that, but we have definitely have the highest standard of living in the world, okay? But the reality is, is right now in this country that 95% of people are dead, disabled, or broke at 65 right? 28% of people don't make it to 65. And um, like 62% are broke, meaning they're dependent on, on family, they're dependent on government, or they live paycheck to paycheck, and so on and so forth. So what I quickly understood is I was going down a path of the 95%. And so if I wanted something different in my life, if I wanted to get off of the, uh, um, you know, work till I die almost program, then I was going to go have to play a different game and learn something new. And that's really what life helped me figure out was to be intentional, but not just, not, not just financially, but how to, how to take control of my time to put it towards the things that were important to me, right. To grow intentionally or be on like a self-directed education, so on and so forth. So it's been like that, that. Well, that, that sounds great. Yeah. It's been life changing. Great, great. It's funny that you say that because I think back, as you asked me to, when I was 17. Now, most people will not believe this if I told them, but when I was 17, I had long, dyed black hair. I was one of the goth kids that you found in high school, and uh, I, uh, I was a musician. I was in a band, and uh, I, uh, I had a gig at a recording studio in Villa Park, and that's kind of where I, I started my career, and so... But that was swept under the rug for me. So I was, uh, by this time I was 19, 20, really had no direction anywhere. I kind of changed my mindset uh, 
through a religious experience that my brother shared with me, and that's that's how I started my path. But uh, definitely, I like that question. You know, what do you want your life to look like? Because that's uh, that's a motto I think that uh, I've definitely adapted for myself. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's real. And I, again, I don't I don't want to be. I'm not a cynic, and I, I'm not. You know, I don't want to be the bearer of negative news, but I'm so thankful that people came into my life and exposed me to the truth. It exposed me to the fact that we're in a system that wasn't working for many people anymore. It was working for a lot of people at one time, but the wor the world has changed quickly. The internet has really changed the playing field. And then, you know, of course, when you add in, and I, I don't know how far you want to go into this, you, you tell me, but when you add into the fact of how they're devaluing our currency, in other words, they're systematically siphoning off the fruits of our labor through, you know, inflation and, and, taxation and just, um, you know, all different mechanisms where, um, people are out there working hard and it's like the, the financial light at the end of the tunnel is growing further and further away. And not, not a lot of people see, um, they're not seeing progress. You know, they bust their fanny another year and they get to the end of the year and it's like, man, we we're, we fell back again. We're further back than we were last year. So Right, right. So uh, one of the things that we're going to do on the Invictus Mind is I want to teach people the the rules of financial independence, but we also want to talk about just liberty in general, right? So this show is not pr primarily about finance, even though I have a background in that and you have a background in that. So we can talk a little bit about finance. Obviously, uh, we're both playing the same game. I agree with you that there's so many people out there who are just struggling and they, and they don't know where to get good information from. Yeah, it's hard, you know. There, there's. Um, well, you you mentioned. I don't know if it was on there, or off there, but you mentioned how I had uh, introduced you to a book called The Financial Matrix. So my mentor's mentor, a gentleman by the name of Orrin Woodward, he's a he's a former General Motors systems engineer from the '90s that that got out of corporate America. Uh, he ran and founded a couple different multi-million-dollar leadership companies, including one that did corporate training for. Uh, over, at one point, over 60% of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies were utilizing the content and so on and so forth. Uh, this guy spoke to like the Italian Senate. He's like a top 200 speaker, just ton of credentials. But probably one of the most impressive ones is Inc. Magazine has named him in the top 50 leadership and management gurus of all time, dead or alive. So there's people on that list like Andrew Carnegie, right? And um, And he wrote... He, he did a four-year study on why, if, if we think about it, so <clears throat> we, we have essentially, we have better food, we have better me medicine, we have more conveniences than, if you're middle class in America today, you live better than the kings throughout history, the, the, the luxuries and the conveniences you have. So why are people, why are suicide rates at a record high? Why are divorce rates at a record high? Why are we record high antidepressant use? Why are we, you know, why are people reporting that they're not happy? Why are people proclaiming that they have less than two people they feel confident to confide in in their life? And what he did is and during this four-year study, he, he was trying to uncover this and he really traced it back to the financial system. And um, he, he had read a book and I should have this book on the tip of my tongue and I don't, I apologize. Um, but he learned about the three factor, three factors of production, labor, land, and capital, right? And so what he realized, if you look through, you know, 
human recorded history that if you go back to ancient Egypt and the Israelites and um, essentially, you know, they were in slavery and, uh, you know, Pharaoh owned them, therefore in their productive capacity. And then eventually, you know, Christianity spread throughout the West and it kind of became popular for people to own people, you know, wasn't too biblical. And I know we've had a few reprieves of that, including during the founding of this country. I understand all that, but um, in general, so then we went into an, um, a time in history where the elites or the aristocracy or, you know, this, this handful of people that kind of, and again, this isn't a conspiracy. It's just, it's just history, but where the elites own, own the land, you know, it was like feudalism where, you know, I own all the land and I'll let you work this land and you can keep some for yourself and you work my land and so on and so forth. Right. And then we had this experiment that you and I were passionate about the founding of called the United States of America. And many of our founding fathers understood uh, they had read John Locke and other people, and they understood the tie between private property and liberty, that we would never really be free without private property. And so, in fact, we were we were founded on land, liberty and pursuit of happiness, but we were almost founded on land, liberty and property. So we were, actually, I misspoke, sorry. So it's life, liberty, pursuit of happiness is what we were founded on, but we were almost founded on like life, liberty, and property or something like that. I've, I don't remember I read that, but it was that important to the idea that we had to have private property. And I know you've read this stuff. Um, and so, you know, in ancient Egypt, they controlled the, the productive capacity of the masses through owning them. That would be what Orrin would call the labor matrix. and then. When the elites own the land, he'd call that the land matrix. And now they do it. Through. This is the the hidden one. This is the one where they're not forcing people into slavery or for, they're not forcing people to do labor. It's all through enticement and through debt. Right. And uh, but they're they're siphoning off people's productive capacity through through capital, through the financial system, through. Um, well, and you and I could talk about this for hours, but. Through, through debt and through devaluation of the currency, which is a hidden tax, and so on and so forth, right? Was it that book that first first turned you on to that, or did you uh, did you get a hint of any of this before you No, read I was very much on to the idea of it. It just, when Orrin came back and said, this isn't new, they, they did it originally with labor, with slavery, they, then they did it with land, and now they did it through the financial system. I already understood the financial system was kind of modern-day slavery, but when he put that whole thing together, he said, this is, this is the history. This is recorded history it is, is this struggle for, you know, the elites to kind of control the protect, productive capacity of the masses. Um, whenever, if the, whenever in society you have people that aren't working, they don't need to work. They're provided for Then somebody is working to do that. Right. Somebody is doing extra wherever somebody isn't working. And so, um, I just think he, he gave a lot of clarity to this, this concept. And, and I think it was a big aha moment for him when he, and forgive me, I, next time I come out, I'll have to have the name of that book, but he read this book and it talked about the three factors of production. Right. And so now we don't, you know, we don't put a gun to somebody's head or we don't whip them. We just, you know, put an ad on TV and then have them go purchase something. Right. So, or we uh, spend money that we don't have as a government and then we print more to pay the debt on that. And then that steals from you and I. Right on. 
So I'm going to hold you to finding the name of that book because one of the things I'm going to do with my website is uh, we're going to be promoting the, the books that everyone's reading. So every time somebody on the podcast mentions a book, I'm going to be actually putting it on a website and so people can find it themselves. So <laughs> If people just want to learn something that's very practical to modern day, that actually, so Oren read a book, wrote a book called Resolve, 13 Resolutions for Life. And it doesn't just talk about finances, but there's an entire chapter on there. And it's actually, basically, it's, it's uh, resolutions were used by Ben Franklin and, um, by um, a couple other of the founders, George Washington, and then there was a pastor. He's considered one of the greatest American intellects of all time, and I'm drawing a blank. But those, those resolutions was a concept used by great men for self-improvement. And so he wrote this book, Re, uh, Resolve, 13 Resolutions for Life. And um, it, he talks specifically in there about the difference between classical economics, which is where people actually have to produce things, and we have we have to have sound money and stuff like that. You know, or um, some of the hardcore people I know would be like the Mises people would want us to call it uh, like Austrian economics, like Ludwig van Mises and and uh, economics that actually works. And and um, instead, how we teach these Keynesian economics now that are all it's all debt debt based. People just have people just spend money and have high debt and print money and everything will be okay. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. It's it's led to about forty financial collapses in fifty years. So. Um, but uh, he, he does a really good, that's a simple, if you just read the finances chapter in there, it's a fabulous book. It's a leadership top 100 all time. Um, but you would have an understanding of what's going on today and what's applicable into people's lives today and how they, they, you know, they go to, you go to elite universities and they teach these Keynesian economics and then these people get out and get into politics and so on and so forth. Interesting. Well, thank you for that. I'll add that to my book collection. I, I think I have about 35 books in my book collection I have not purchased yet. Uh, I, I spent most of my time listening to podcasts. That's how I'm educating myself these days. But maybe now I'll just talk to people like yourself and learn a little bit more about life. <laughs> so um, focusing more on a, on a financial matrix, um, so can you describe how that book has really made an impact on your life personally? I mean, it's one thing to have knowledge of the systems that uh, uh, hold us all back, but uh, has it really made a big difference well, in your personal it, life? Well, it, it's made a big difference in my personal habits and what I share with people. I remember, and again, before the book was written, I started to understand what was going on. And, you know, you uncover truth. This is one of the things I really respect about you. And, and uh, when we're confronted with truth, when we're confronted with new information, we always have a decision to make. We can either go towards that and we can dig in more. And, and obviously, we, we live in a world of instant information and most of it's baloney, you know. So you got to really, you got to read widely and, and listen widely and, and sharpen your iron against other folks because there's a lot of half-truth out there, you know. There's a lot of stuff that sounds good. Um, but, uh, you know, I had already started to change. The, here, truth be told, Mike, I was a guy that made great money in corporate America and I had nothing to show for it. I was financial hot man. I was a quote unquote air quotes, everybody, um, financial services professional, but I was a financial hot mess, you know, cause you are a product of the information you take in and you are a product of the people that you surround yourself with. So uh, envision this. I sat in an office on a regular basis and what we did is we helped people take possession of the bank of the bank's asset, Right. And then the bank would allow them to main the bank would allow people to maintain their asset. And as long as they paid the rent to the bank every month, 
then the bank would let them to continue to maintain their asset. And we call that the American dream, right? Because <clears throat> you can turn on the TV and there's all these, you know, realtors like to run these commercials about the, Mer the American dream is to own a home. But if you have a mortgage, you don't own your home, you're renting. I'm, I'm sorry to, to say you're renting, you know? So if you've ever rented and you know what happens if you miss three or four rent payments, try missing three or four mortgage payments and see how much of your home you own. And so I worked in the matrix. I was part of the matrix. I'm not proud of it, but understand it has nothing to do with intelligence. It was the information that I had. It was my normal. And that's where most people are. You know, people like I was, I was quote unquote, again, helping people. That's what I thought. That's what I was taught. Right. And so I like to think that I'm exactly on the other side. I used to put people into the matrix, you know, for a short time. And now I'm dedicating my life to helping pull people out of the matrix. But, um, no, I before he read, read the financial matrix or wrote the financial matrix, I'd already started to change the way I lived. I started to live within my means. I started to, um, understand that, that, you know, debt was a cancer. Debt, that's a four letter word, you know? And, uh, I mean, there's certain exceptions to invest in equipment and stuff when you're trying to expand a business asset or you can justify debt, but having personal debt on, I mean, people finance furniture now, it's, we've lost our ever loving minds. Um, but I had started to correct those things and it started to move, you know, some of the fruits of my labor into tangible assets, which I know that you're a fan of being diversified into things like gold or silver, um, you know, potentially land, but something that's tangible, something that has value, something that they can't just print more of and steal from you, you know? So what do I mean? If you're listening to this, you're like, what is he talking about steal from us? Well, I'll give you an example. You're not just taxed on your check. You're not, or you're not just taxed when you file your taxes. Okay. You're taxed through the financial system, through printing of money. So if you've ever turned on the TV and heard fancy, fancy terminology, like quantitative easing, QE1, QE2, QE3, all this is, is phony baloney talk for the government's broke. The government, by the way, who has no money, it always kills me when people talk about, oh, the government should pay for that or the government needs to pay for this for me. The government doesn't have any money. They have no money. They can only take it from the people. Wherever government gets money from is from me and you, right? Or everybody else. Unfortunately, um, because we don't have a gold standard or we don't have anything keeping this in check, now government doesn't just... They don't just get revenue from taxing us. They actually print money. And I, we won't get we, – maybe we could come on and do a whole show about how that process works. But they print money. So so um, where, are you in Rolling Meadows, Mike? I, I work out of Rolling Meadows. You work out of – so we'll just use Rolling Meadows for example. So if everybody in Rolling Meadows has $200,000 and Gary and Mike got in a, a helicopter and airdropped everybody another $200,000 – the cost of goods and services in, in uh, rolling meadows would potentially go up. But there wasn't, a true, there wasn't a true demand for those goods and services. Demand could make prices go up. But in that case, there wasn't a true demand for products and services. It's just that Mike and Gary cut the value of everybody's money in half. And what people don't understand is this has been quietly going on since 1913. So $100 in 1913 is worth you know $3 and change today. And... Um, They've been continuing to print money. Now, we don't feel it overnight here because we're um, 
you know, the American empire and because we're the world's reserve currency and because other, these other countries need U.S. dollars to do international commerce, or they do today. They do till they don't, till it changes, but they do today. Um, what happens is our government prints money and it goes and it, and it circulates all around the world. And it, it, but it does come home to roost, but it does very slowly, right? So the, our, our government in cahoots with big bankers have been slowly devaluing our currency, right? If you, uh, if you have paper money in your hand, that, that doesn't meet that our paper currency, because it's not money, we call it money, but it doesn't meet the definition of money. It's a currency. It's actually an instrument of debt. And again, maybe we can do a whole show on that, but for those that are serious about it, but um, they're taxing you. They're, they're taking your, your, um, what is money? You know, I, Mike, I know you and I are not particularly, we're not, we're not driven by old stinky paper with dead presidents on it. We're driven by choices. We're driven by the idea that money is a tool and that when we help good people create in a, create abundance that they do good things in the world, that they'll help other people. And um, I see too many good people in our society that are spending so much of their life just trying to pay the bills. They're just trying to make it. They work, 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 work their fanny off to just make it. And then what do they want to do? Then they, you know, they scrape a few months, uh, scrape a little money together and go on a vacation and come back and do it all over again. And they, they're, unfortunately, these are wonderful folks, but due to circumstance, they're not impacting the world in a big way, right? Yeah, they take care of their family and they, they're good neighbors and all that kind of stuff. But I see so many gifted people with higher callings and higher purposes that are kind of trapped in the system. Sure, absolutely. You know, it's kind of funny because I, uh, I have a similar background. Like I said, I'm in financial services and I was introduced to the company I work for now back in uh, 2006. And at that time, I, uh, I didn't really know anything about how money worked. And what I was taught when I was in that company was, you know, how debt works, how to, how to pay less in taxes, how to get out of debt, how to save in different investments in the future. But I was never taught within that company what you're talking about, the true concept of what uh, the difference between money and currency is. I, I actually had to discover that on my own several years after the fact. Uh, a gentleman by the yeah. name of Ron Paul started talking about the Federal Reserve, and I started really learning about that. And now my whole philosophy yeah. about money has changed. And so now when I teach yeah. people how to actually get out of debt, I feel like I have to give them the whole uh, lecture on how what money really is. And, and most people just have glazed eyes when you when they look at me like, yeah, um, inflation is killing you. They don't even know how it works. No, no, because and and here's the thing. It doesn't matter if it's the financial services industry. It doesn't matter if it's education. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, the healthcare industry, which I have really strong opinions about some areas of that. Um, you have a lot of wonderful people, like they're 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 wonderful folks, and their heart is to help people that that either have poor information or they have partial information. In other words. Um, I'll, I'll just, um, let me tread lightning. I think you'll be okay with this, bud. Here I go. Um, when you, when you walk into the, to the typical, there's good and bad in everything. Let me start with that. When you walk into the tip, typical financial, somebody who would call themselves as a financial advisor, when you walk into their office, okay. Um, they're a product of the information they have. I, I respect and I, I love about you the fact that you're self-educated, that you've expanded your education and you've followed information, you've followed truth where it's led you. That's why I, I want to come on your podcast and I, why we have the relationship we have. 
Um, but when, when somebody comes into a company to work for a company, they're taught information that's pertinent and good for their company. So they can label themselves however they want. But if I'm, I don't want to name any names out here and, and get, you know, in this day and age, but some of the, some of these financial advisors are basically trolling for people that have assets. They're not that interested in helping the middle, middle-class American. And you have to understand how they, 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 you know, they butter their bread, they pay their bills by selling you some kind of a paper-backed. It's just based on our dollar, which we've talked about how unstable and how that's devaluing some kind of paper-backed investment. And they're not considering the whole picture of your financial situation. In other words, um, they may talk about they may talk about you getting out of debt. In fact, and I know like people like you, Mike, probably actually want to sit down and help people with a plan. Did you like you would actually do that for people because you know it's good for people, even though you wouldn't necessarily get paid for it. And I know there's a few good guys out there like that, but you know they can talk about you getting out of debt, but they don't they don't get paid for that. They don't do anything with the legal structure of your finances. You know they don't they don't consider tangible assets, which I know you're an advocate of being diversified in. They don't consider um, business assets and, and how, you know, that fits into your picture. So, so on and so forth. I, it's funny. We live in a world now we've talked about all this taxation. You know, most people need a side business in their life. It doesn't even need to make money. They need it just as a tax strategy. And one of the things I love about being in business for myself is that my, my life is a walking, talking tax deduction. You know, I, I have business meals. So I'm going to eat anyways. I, you know, I my my cell phone bill and my internet and um, a home office space, all the stuff that I'm going to have in, in my life anyways now come off the top line of my taxes. You know, so business ownership. You don't have. Well, I'm not talking about mortgage in your whole life into you know jumping off of a cliff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we live in a world now where there you can do some things on the side. Uh, for for a little investment, right? And of course, there's investment. I mean, it drives me crazy when people don't they don't think they have investment in their job. <laughs> I mean, how many people buy tools? I know auto mechanics got tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in tools to have a job, right? Which is which was or or you know people buy uniforms. I I remember dating elementary school teachers that that paid money because they, they they have X budget and they want to do their room a certain way and they they paid money out of their pocket. So there anything that you do that creates income, there's investment at a minimum. Your time is an investment, but there's usually a financial investment. And a lot of people can do things. You can you can start side businesses now, and they don't have to make millions of dollars, but they're a great tax strategy. You know, just to add to your life. Absolutely. I actually worked for a tax preparer and a CPA for about three years. And that really opened my eyes because a lot of people can, you know, they'll talk about tax deductions as loopholes that the rich take advantage of. And really, it is true that the tax law was written by entrepreneurs. But what you're saying is true. Like everybody in this day and age can be an entrepreneur. You can write off, if you work for a company, you can write off your tools if you're a mechanic for a company. Uh, if you understand a tax law, I think it was um, a guy by the name of Tom Wainsworth. He wrote a law. He's part of the uh, Rich Dad uh, Foundation uh, with Robert Kiyosaki. And he said something to the effect that there's 2,000 pages in a tax law, and 50 of those pages pertain to how much you have to pay, but 1,950 of those pages actually explain how much deductions you're entitled to get. 
And I think that if you understand that about the tax law, most people could uh, take advantage of that information easily. Yeah, it, I, man, I've, one thing I've always liked and respected about you is you're like, I don't necessarily have the power to change the system, but how can I help people do the best they can within the system? You know, that's something you've always kind of preached to me. And, and that's just exactly it. And, and helping people um, learn some of the entrepreneurial values and take some responsibility to try to do something on the side. Um, like I said, you don't have to create millions of dollars to, to, to have it really affect your bottom line, improve your situation over the years. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm uh, I'm often limited as to what I can tell people because of the the financial licenses that I hold. But uh, I definitely want to keep an open mind when it comes to hard money assets. Uh, you know, we have the digital uh, currencies now, crypto and whatnot. I'm always open to learning about that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, and I appreciate the information you share with me about uh, cryptocurrencies and whatnot. Uh, let's let's turn a direction a little bit there because uh, I think now that we're in this day and age where people are looking at different options. I mean, a lot of people are left in the dark, but we're looking at mm -hmm. different options. Um, what do you think about the, the future prospects of like things like cryptocurrency in, in, in that regard? Yeah, so that's a great question. And um, if you would have asked me a couple of years ago about cryptocurrency, I would have cursed you because I'm, I'm exaggerating. But um, before I really understood it, it was a very negative thing to me. All I saw was a digital currency, and I and it it you know I I know that we well. That was actually a naive thought on my part because 90% of the U.S. dollar is digital now. That's the reality. We already have digital currency. If you have a debit card or a credit card and you're swiping those things using my line, those are all digital transactions. right? When you go online and pay your credit card balance, that's a digital transaction. We have digital currency. So uh, here's the difference. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm by no means an expert on this. But I'm going to try to stick to some basic stuff that I've, I, I've been on quite a learning curve. Um, I'm not a technology guy, but I have an understanding of what the technology does, if that makes sense. I don't have a clue how to build it, how to implement it. But um, mm -hmm. first and foremost, I would say this. Cryptocurrency is something that people need to learn about. Um, it's probably not – it's for almost everybody, it's something that – I wouldn't be throwing money at it right now because it's highly volatile still. And um, there's a lot of people <clears throat> that have identified that it is the future, and it is the future. Um, and they're kind of getting in and riding that wave and trying to make a quick buck. So um, when you when you look at cryptocurrency, you first need to understand blockchain. And I'm not I'm not I don't know how to build the technology, but I have an understanding what it does. Blockchain is highly secure, and we obviously live in a digital world where everybody's information is being ripped off, and security is a huge thing, right? Like bad guys don't break in your house anymore. They basically hack you from another country and then we don't have any have jurisdiction to do anything about it, right? And so, sure. yeah, so blockchain in and of itself, it's very secure. If you look at something like Bitcoin, which is probably the most known uh, cryptocurrency, definitely it's the most known, right? So um, I've heard it said that Bitcoin has about 10 million hacking attempts a day. It's never been hacked. So, so it's highly secure. And it leaves a public ledger, so it's it's verified by all parties. And here's the here's the key thing: a true blockchain is um, like <clears throat> there's a finite amount, so it's very different than the U.S. dollar, where you know the you know you hear somebody on TV say, "Oh, we're gonna you know, run QE4," and then they they uh, you know hit a button on a computer and print 
tens of billions of dollars in a day, right? Just put that digitally into the system. So um, the the Bitcoin project in particular is actually, and I don't know the exact data and I don't follow it day to day and I can't even tell you what Bitcoin's at today, That's, but, uh, but I am excited about what it could be because um, mo- a, a big chunk of the last I knew, I, there's like, I don't know, 21 or 23 million Bitcoin total in the total project and over like, over like 17 billion have been mined. And we know there's quite a few that are lost out there. I got a buddy that thinks he's got a Bitcoin somewhere because when it was worth peanuts, he was monkeying around and bought some and now he needs a key to get it and he can't get it, you know? Um, so why would it be important that there's a finite amount? Well, the reason that, that, um, the reason that gold is valuable is because it's scarce. Now, some people would say, no, there's some people that believe that, that, you know, they've read scripture and they believe that gold is supposed to be money, right? But you look at like something like diamonds. Why is it, why is it valuable? Because it's, it's supposedly, and I'll put air quotes there, supposedly it's scarce, right? You can decide for yourself or you can do your own research and let me know if it's really scarce. But the idea is that it's scarce or even oil. We're kind of told that oil is scarce, right? And it's a, it's a, a commodity that um, is supposedly limited, right? And so it has value to it. Um, so blockchain does a few things. Being secure is great. Being leaving a public ledger. Why would that be important? Well, that would allow us to um, do transactions peer to peer. Like say, um, say we have 5G, right? Um, Which my understanding is would really reduce a lot of the limitations we would need for some of these transactions. And again, if if you're a technology guy out there and I'm I'm trying to not get off in the weeds because I don't understand it all, but um, the the basic of it basics of it is we could transact peer to peer, meaning I don't need a quote unquote trusted third party, which would be like something like a bank, right? Like Mike, you and I can transact in cryptocurrency, and we don't need a third trusted third party because it's verified by both of us through the public ledger. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you're talking in, in layman's terms, uh, not just because I don't understand, but uh, I think that the people that are going to listen to this, a lot of them are still left in the dark. I yeah. know eventually I'm going to get a crypto expert on this, but uh, you know, yeah. basic understanding I think is important to know. You were saying about transacting money, you know, it's, it's like yeah. PayPal and there's, and there's and things of that nature, you know. Sure, sure, and that's that's just digital U.S. dollars, but I mean, we could do transactions for cars, homes, things like that. You could really, you could get outside the banking system. Obviously, you know, people send PayPal a few hundred bucks, but I'm talking about bigger things. Let me give you a quick example. My mentor bought a car out of New York a couple of years ago, right? And he was pretty sure he wanted the car, but he wanted to fly out there and check it out before he bought it. And he called there and he said, well, what what do I need to do? Well, even if he took a cashier's check from his bank or a in you know some kind of bank official check out there, they would still if he wanted the car he would still have to wait like three business days for that check to clear the bank before they'd let him take the car, right? So what he ended up doing is, um, drawing the check, sending it out, letting the check clear, and then going out there and and seeing if he really wanted the car. And if he didn't, he had to trust that the dealer was going to refund the check. Now he ended up taking the car, um, but. In theory, with cryptocurrency, he could have went out there, looked at the car, and he could have paid right right on the spot. And so th- this is a little bit down the road, but this is really where we're going. If you look at things like Apple Pay, if you look at things like Samsung Pay, people are already looking for convenient and secure. 
right? Now, the crypto space is like the wild, wild west right now, okay? You've got Bitcoin who um, the smartest people that I, the people that should know, think that Bitcoin, they, they, I think it's proven they have the security aspect locked down. Like it's a, the project is highly secure, okay? Um, one of the drawbacks to Bitcoin and why you won't see it as a mainstream currency in terms of one that will transact in e-commerce with is because it's slow, it has a limited amount of transactions, and it has high transaction fees. So, But there's some really smart people that think Bitcoin could be like a new reserve. In fact, there's people that have said that potentially someday an entire country would back themselves with a Bitcoin, right? So like a digital gold per se. Okay. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not making these predictions. I'm telling you, like through my studies, like so, stuff that I see is very reasonable. That Bitcoin could be have established itself as a new reserve. Okay. I I still don't. It still hasn't stabilized. You're still gambling if you put money into it today. I'm not I'm not encouraging people to go out and throw money into Bitcoin. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's real interesting as this project nears. You know. The, um, Pretty soon here, I believe the mining will be cut in half. So they'll be mining half as many Bitcoins as they have because there's there's a lot of them are mined, right? Uh, you've got things like Ethereum, who, um, you know, we found out here a couple of years ago was centrally controlled because it got hacked. And the founder of Ethereum went back in and undid a bunch of transactions and gave people their money back. Well, you're like, well, that sounds good. Yeah, but he showed that he showed that the... Um, it defeated the whole purpose, right? That it was still, the project was still centrally controlled, which if you're a liberty-minded guy like you or I are, you don't want that. You want something decentralized and Bitcoin's decentralized. Um, you've got uh, XRP out there that's being used in some banking transactions. MoneyGram just inked the deal with XRP. Uh, you'll probably see a cascading of other companies that will have to scramble. Their competitors will have to do the same thing because when you look at speed of transaction and transaction fees, like, they're going to have a leg up. So, um, blockchain in and of itself, I've got a great article. I could probably send it to you if you wanted to put it on your website. Uh, the name of the article is, is, um, 10 industries that will be revolutionized by blockchain in the next decade. And when you read through the industries, you realize it's the whole economy. There's blockchain in your life already. You just don't necessarily understand or know it. And so, um, but many of the quote, if you, uh, if people are curious, you can go to coin market cap, it's a website and there'll be 2000 plus currencies on that website and it'll show you what they're trading at, what the trends are. It gives rankings of the top currencies, all that. It's kind of a, um, a go-to website for a lot of people that are into crypto. Um, understand most of those currencies are going to die. They're not, they're, they're just not. You know, people develop a project, they, they take a bunch of startup money because they're trying to ride that wave, that buzz of popularity. It, it would be like, um, remember the tech stock boom in 2000, Mike? Absolutely. And all of a sudden, people were like literally creating fake companies and trading them because everybody was buying tech stocks. Mm -hmm. There's a healthy amount of competition in the market, so that's good. Well, it's all speculative. You have to understand, cryptocurrency is 100% speculative. Now, so do, is XRP... I mean, it is ha does have use. Bitcoin does have legitimate use. Um, uh, something like Monero has a lot of illegitimate use, I understand. Um, <laughs> so on and so forth. But most of these are just projects that people developed, and they're they're kind of trying to drive that ride that wave. But 
most of them are going to die. And I, I say that confidently. I think you could get an expert on here. He would say that too. Um, some of them will be useful as technology, so they won't be a currency. They won't be any kind of a money or a means of an exchange, but they will evolve into something where their technology is valuable and will add value to our life. Something super interesting. Again, I would, uh, uh, I know a lot of people that thought they know a lot about crypto and they got their, their clock clean when the, the Bitcoin bubble bu- busted. And like I said, it's, it's still volatile in my opinion, and it's still um, potentially being manipulated. We, know, we even know that the gold markets, obviously, we know that the big players in the gold market can even sway the gold market. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. You know, potentially China owns a ton of Bitcoin. So um, I don't think it's something for the little guy to get into, but it's something that you need to learn about because it is the future and it is going to be in our life. And it's, you know, it's something you want to start learning about. Absolutely. Well, I get these questions all the time as a financial advisor. Like I said, I can't say anything about uh, cryptocurrency, let alone just gold and silver. But as you mentioned, it is speculative. And that's what I have to say to people all the time who just want to invest in mutual funds. You know, uh, past results are not indicative of future results, yeah. you know. <laughs> so who knows what's going to happen, but we yeah. got to keep our mind open and uh, – just understand the world around us. Yeah, and, and some of the big the big hedge funds and the big I, – I don't follow this super closely. My mentor does, and I get some trickle-down stuff from him. But they are – with some of these investments, they're allowing them to put a little bit of a percent into cryptocurrency now. So there's some big players in the financial industry that are, you know, that are understanding the crypto thing is here to stay and wanting to diversify over into there a little bit. Um, and then you see all kinds of other stuff, and I'll just I'll just comment briefly on this. You, J, JP Morgan is is um, beta testing a, a a coin right now, and my I would guess that it's not a blockchain, that it's just a it's just a digital currency, just a fiat. But it's under that you know they'll call it a crypto, but it's not an actual blockchain. I hope I'm wrong. Right, like. Like Facebook, they have uh, Libra coming out. It's not a it's not a blockchain either. Um, Libra is just a digital currency that's tied to the dollar, and you've seen Zuckerberg getting um, pulled into Congress lately, and they're talking about all this manipulation of elections and stuff. Um, this is just an opinion. Don't anybody sue me, but this is just an opinion. I don't think that he's getting smacked around. I don't think it has anything to do with manipulating elections. I just think um, it has to do with I think there's people out there that are powerful in the financial industry that potentially are pretty connected to politicians. And if you understand Libra, if you understand there's 2.5 billion people on Facebook, and if you understand that people start to realize they can transact outside of banks through a platform like Facebook through Libra, and if they would be willing to do that, you just created the largest central bank in the world. Now, I don't, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't, Facebook's, platforms got too much influence already i'm not saying it's a good thing i'm just saying that it's something that bankers don't like and i think you're going to see a massive power struggle between facebook and people behind a curtain somewhere and they'll put politicians up in front of them so that's my opinion (laughs) they say money controls the world right so it's funny because my uh the people that i know come from all walks of life so i 
talked to my brother, and you'll probably hear him on the podcast last time, and he's much more laid back and not really financially minded, although he understands the importance of financial independence. He, uh, he's more culturally driven when it comes to liberty. And, of course, my friend, uh, I'll just call him the financial ninja for now. That's what he's going to introduce himself at. You know, he's, he's, in a, he's my mentor in the financial industry, and so he's, he's more financially minded. Yeah. Um, sounds like you're very knowledgeable when it comes to, to money and finances, but uh, is that is that your biggest passion when it comes to independence? Is it financial independence, or are there other things that are important to you as well, like cultural and uh, and spiritual, that kind of stuff? They're all in, unintertwined. I remember hearing an audio from a from a former Ohio congressman. Now he, he's been out of office for a couple decades, a guy by the name of Bob McEwen, and um, he talked about how um, spiritual, financial, and political freedom. And when I say political, I mean your ability to associate with who you want. I'm not, you know, don't peg that with just politics. But he talked about how spiritual, financial, and political freedoms are intertwined. And you can't really, he laid out the case how you can't really have one without the other. You know, a lot of people don't really understand that this country was founded on the basis of spiritual freedom, right? That the king in England had founded, you had the, the, Puritans that were in the parliament and they literally would bring their Bible to the parliament and they would, everything the King would say, like they would run it through the scripture and they were super tight. And then you had the Catholic church in England that time that was evidently pretty loose. And then, um, in a power grab, he, he forms the, the, the church of England, which didn't have anything to do with him being spiritual. It just had to do with a power grab where he could attack both sides. And, um, the, the forefathers and the founders knew this, and that's where that you get the the uh, the idea of the separation of church and state. And just for the record, because people I see Facebook people get on Facebook and they argue about it, they don't even know what they're talking about. Uh, separation of church and state is nowhere in any founding document. It, it, it's a very good idea. It's a concept that was written in a letter by Thomas Jefferson, but it is not in a founding document. Okay, and so just just so everybody understands that I'm know what I'm talking about there. Um, but really, the idea of separation in church of state is to protect um, religious freedom for all, right? So the idea wasn't to keep um, religion out of government per se. The idea was to stop the government from setting up an official religion and making everybody conform to it, if that makes sense to everybody. So that, that's the idea of separation of church and state. And that was really uh, a great documentary that I would encourage people to watch if you want to understand it, it goes it goes back and traces the the footsteps of the forefathers so not the founding fathers we're talking a couple hundred years before the people that would originally settled over here um kurt cameron did a documentary called monumental and um the original forefathers actually left a monument it's out near plymouth and this monument is a roadmap to a free society and i don't know about you mike but i never learned about it in school but they go there, they visit it on this documentary, and they talk about, they go back to England and they retrace the footsteps of these people. What were they facing? They were facing religious persecution. And what did they do? They got this group of folks together and they bought two boats. And then one of the boats was damaged. They couldn't even make it over here. And then the ones that did make it, half of them died the first winter. And just unbelievable what these people faced just for, you know, religious freedom. And uh, I would really encourage people to, I think you have a hard time watching that and not understand that there's been history omitted from our education. I'll just leave it at that. So I, I just, um, I'm a, I'm a believer that, that, um, 
I'm passionate about all of them. I'm passionate about, passionate about spiritual, financial, and political freedom because they're all intertwined, you know. And um, you know, we, you and I talk about money a lot, and some people get weird when you talk about money. And you're, money's just a tool. It, money is strictly a tool, you know. And I, I only really know one person that ever walked this earth that didn't have means. If you look at somebody like, like George Washington, who and, and I get it, like not a perfect man, like he had hypocrisy in his life. I'm not here to, I don't deify anybody, but somebody who maybe saw, you know, barely saw his own wife in 13 years. This is a wealthy man. He didn't need to do anything. And the sacrifice he made to, uh, for the things, the pr- <clears throat> principles he stood on. Um, you look at a guy like Ben Franklin, who was not a good man in his early years. If you read that book, Resolved, um, he was not a good person. <laughs> Um, but he was changed and Ben Franklin basically had three phases of his life. He had his, his working life where he, um, um, he learned, you know, saved money like crazy. And then, uh, once he was really good at knowing how to run a printing press, he went and set up like he was the first franchiser or maybe first, I've heard him called the first networker where he would invest in people who didn't have capital to start a business, but invest in them, teach them how to run the business. And then you know, keep a residual or eventually they could buy them out or whatever. And he, he franchised all these printing presses and Ben Franklin made more money in his post working years than he did in his working years. And so what he did is he bought his time back and allowed him to become an inventor. Right. And a lot of everybody's, you know, there's the famous picture with him and the kite and the key and all that kind of stuff. Right. But it also allowed him to be on a self-directed education and to, to, um, apply these resolutions to his life and improve himself. And then when he was called, when his country needed him, it was his alliance with the French that got us the resources we need needed. You know, we probably are, we probably never become a free country. We probably never become what we, what we became without him becoming a diplomat. In fact, there was, he had such a strong alliance with the, with the French. Um, and he had gained favor with the, the French, elites that there, there was even people in our own country that didn't care for Ben, but he, the, the French liked him so much, they were willing to give us whatever we needed because it was Ben, you know, and he only, he was only able to, to create and invent and do those things and contribute to society because he had gotten himself free. And then he became our, arguably our greatest diplomat ever. Um, cause it with his, you know, when he became free, he invented and he grew himself personally. So he's an interesting cat. Ben Franklin is a, I know people that love him. I know people that really dislike him. He's a very interesting man. He has an amazing story, and uh, um, he's a cool somebody interesting to study. So, right on, right on. I think it just proves once again the power of reading and understanding true history, and instead of the the manufactured stuff that we get sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I wanted to, I wanted to turn the tale a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to start to wrap this up, I think, Gary. So I mm-hmm. sent you the poem Invictus, and you had you said you had not uh, you had not heard of that poem in the past. When you had a chance to read it, uh, what what resonated with you? What part of the poem Invictus uh, really stuck out? With I don't you? remember it in detail, but I remember that the that he, um, the theme of the poem was very independent thinking. Very, um, um, I think he talks about being master of his own soul, but. Uh, Almost, um, I remember, I remember, uh, you read the book rascal 
And it talks about the rascal and it talks about being an original character or somebody who doesn't go with the flow, doesn't go with the, just doesn't go with the herd. And there was kind of a hint in that when I, when I read that, I, I remember thinking that very independent thinking, somebody will stand on his convictions, you know, regardless of, um, you know, we live in a world where people are not too many times. They don't have the courage to stand in what, what they believe. You know, a million thing, a million people can say something stupid. It's still stupid. And, uh, we, we've got to think independently. We've got to, here's Mike, you know, here's one of the most powerful things that anybody's ever asked me. Do you know why you believe what you believe? And I had to be honest with myself when I originally, that got posed to me, I started processing it and there was too much of what I thought I knew that I didn't know why I believed. You know, I probably was getting too much information from friends, family, and Facebook. And I think that if most people are, if most people are honest, that's where they're getting information from. And, um, boy, those are not, they could be potentially, but in general, not very reliable sources. Okay. Well, so I'm going to share with you just a brief history of that poem. I actually read that. I heard of the word Invictus the first time from a movie by a similar title. Um, I don't know if you heard it was a, it was a, um, who was in that? Matt Damon was in that, and uh, Morgan Freeman. It was about the South African rugby team, and it was actually about Nelson Mandela. And as we know from history, Nelson Mandela was actually incarcerated in South Africa for 27 years, and uh, despite that horrible time in in prison, he memorized the uh, the words to Invictus because. He realized that what that means is they can take away your physical freedoms. They can take away your ability to uh, to do what you want to do. They can take away almost everything, including your life, but they can't take away the thoughts in your own head. They can't take away the hopes and desires that you have in your head. And in the book, uh, excuse me, in, in, a, in a movie, Morgan Freeman was talking to Matt Damon, who was the leader of the rugby team, and that's how... Nelson Mandela actually united South Africa uh, when he became president and was released from jail. And he told him that we are the captain of our fate. We are the master of our soul. And so I've taken that poem and I've named this podcast after that because uh, that's really what I'm all about. It's about finding liberty. There was a book, an author by the name of Harry Brown, that said, Finding Freedom in an Unfree World. And you talked about systems earlier. And despite the systems that are around us, I think that in our own mind, we can come up with uh, our own freedom and, and understanding history and, and pursuit of knowledge is really what drives that. I'm super passionate about people starting to ask questions. You know, there, there's been certain labels and stuff put out there on people that, that, that have been put out there by elites and label people that want to challenge the status quo or challenge um, – whatever thought process. And I think we should be, um, I think it's important for guys like you and I as leaders that we are presenting information in a relatable way and, um, not, you know, not, not being over the top and being thoughtful about that. But I think people need to open their minds to like, if you just real quickly, we talked earlier about if, if you're, if you were in school and your teacher gave a test and 95% of the kids failed the test, would you think the problem is the kids or maybe the test was a little bit off? Right. So if we're, if we're, if 95% of our country is dead, disabled or broke at 65, 
and, and the safety nets are getting broker and broker or if, um, there's just, we just need to, people need, I, I would just encourage people to open your mind and just start processing information. You know, I'm, uh, I'll share this really quickly over the years. I've become very wellness minded, meaning my mindset is when it comes to your body healing or something ailing it, if you give it what it needs, it's designed to heal itself. Now, let me preface this and say, Hey, I've been a survivor of three major car accidents. And when I was uh, carted in the hospital unconscious and needed my head stapled back together, I was so, so thankful that there was medical personnel there to do that. I just don't think it should be a lifestyle. And so I, 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 I went down this path where I became all wellness, almost like I'm not fanatic, but just wellness, wellness, wellness. Well, there's a lot of charlatans in the wellness space too, because when people become convicted about something, they're not thinking as clearly. And so you, you have a supplement nutritional supplement industry that's very unregulated and, and people put stuff out there and they capitalize. And anytime there's a herd mentality, we should be, we should just think outside the box a little bit. Right. So I'm a wellness guy. I believe in supplementation, but there's, there's charlatans on the wellness side. And on the medical side, we talked earlier about if you, you know, most people I know, you know, unfortunately with, with the economy and the way it is, I see a lot of people running to the nursing space because they see it as job security, right? They see it as job security. And so they, they run to nursing and, you know, uh, in general, people going to nursing too, they have a heart to help people, but they're like a product of the information they have. And so when you start looking at a system, I, I, uh, I just start looking at data and I have a friend who worked for cancer treatment centers of America and you start looking into the, some of the stuff, and you start to realize there's nothing conspiratorial about any of it. In other words, when, you, when I started to learn I, my current with, my, with life and the mentors I have, when I started to learn about business systems, you realize that the medical industry, and, and if you're listening to this and you work in that medical industry, this is not meant to be an attack on you. There, there's some wonderful folks in a system, but understand, just like there's some wonderful teachers in a system, there's wonderful people that work in banks that are in a system, sometimes they're a product of the information they have, right? And so when you start looking at something like the, the medical system and you realize if they cured things, they would actually put themselves out of business. So the model is we, we become profitable when we're alive, but, but not well, if they can treat symptoms, um, so on and so forth. And so I, I know that it's probably far out for some of you, but I just want to encourage people to think all right. Well, we'll leave it at that, Gary. So uh, where can people find you? Do you have a website? Do you have uh, social media? What are you currently doing to spread your message? <clears throat> I do have a website. It's, it's Gary at GaryKanauer.com. So Gary, K-N-A-U-E-R.com is my website. I can't tell you the last time I looked at it. It's not super updated, uh, but all my contact information is there. Some of my past uh, radio show episodes are there, some different thoughts. Uh, there's a bio there and stuff, and it's, it's a way to definitely get in contact with me. Um, I tell you what, Mike, I've in a world where everybody wants to brand themselves, you know, and I'm not against that, I've kind of just gone the other way. Uh, I've been doing a lot of traveling, a lot of speaking, and I just I spend a lot of time talking to groups or even meeting with individuals. And, and um, doing that, I, I don't do a lot of text messaging. I like to pick up the phone or I use like walkie-talkie apps and stuff now. I'm I'm kind of going the other way. The society's going to a very um, detached kind of communication, and I, I'm I'm kind of running the other way. I guess 
a little bit of that is I used to be in the fitness industry and I see how phony baloney that is. It's so you turn on social media and it's so doctored and so man, don't believe anything you see when you look at that industry. So, and, and I hate to see that cause it, it, it hurts people because people are chasing things that aren't real. And I just, I'm a, I have a little bad taste in my mouth for social media in general. Um, it just, the platform has become too consuming of, of, um, uh, what am I trying to say? It, it, the, the whole social media, that whole platform is became, it's been given too much control in our society. So I don't spend a lot of time there. If you communicate with me, I, you know, I have messenger, I keep it because people reach out to me, but I just don't spend a lot of time on there. And I'm not, it's just me personally. Um, I'm the kind of guy that, man, pick up the phone and call me. You know, I, I like, ta- I like communicating with people and <clears throat> I value people. And, um, I just, uh, I think we need, we need to be more real. So that's kind of my thing. I have a friend that was, it's funny. You brought up Ron Paul earlier. I have a, I have a good buddy. Um, that's done some podcasting and stuff too. And this guy's, he's been to the library of Congress. He's been to the Smithsonian and he went to a Ron Paul rally and Ron Paul said, we need more truth in media. And this guy literally quit his job and was inspired to go do things. So, um, but, uh, anyways, <laughs> but anyways, I appreciate you having, having me on. And, uh, um, I'm glad that you finally, I know you've been wanting to do this for a long time. I'm glad you've launched this platform and, are going to share your voice. You're clearly passionate about it. And, and, uh, uh, again, I, I love the idea that you're an independent thinker and I know that you'll have some great guests and some, some thought provoking stuff on here. Well, thank you, Gary. Yeah, it is a work in progress, but, uh, I want to thank you for, uh, sharing your thoughts with me and, uh, speaking a lot more than I have, because, uh, although you've complimented me quite well for being intelligent, I, I like to have people listen to a third party. So it's not just me talking yeah. all the time. So I appreciate, uh, yeah, your help absolutely. Us. All right, buddy. Well then, uh, you have a good night and, uh, we'll talk, uh, sometime down the road. Maybe we'll get you on a podcast in the future. Okay. Sounds great, Mike. Take care. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Invictus mind. I want to thank Gary for being such a great guest. If you believe you have an Invictus mind, if you have a story that you would like to tell on this podcast, you can contact me via email found in the Invictus Mind website. That's it. Until next time, peace.